Shit happens. So 232 of the World Pod. My name is Stefan Butzko and I will be the host for this episode joined by the one and only Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias and welcome to the show. Hello Stefan, it's great to be back. Yes, um, but beware of what you say because we have to talk about the 2-0 Revier Derby defeat, which in my view was terrible, terrible game. But um, yeah, Matthias, I'm afraid you already have done most of your venting off the air. I hope there's some of uh, that fire in you <laughs> left for what is going to land on the air. And uh, yeah, we not only have to talk about the Revier Derby, but also have to preview another huge game upcoming on this Saturday against Bayer Leverkusen. It's the Bundesliga Topspiel. It's uh, third in Leverkusen against fourth in Dortmund so um you know another big one for the Champions League and um yeah before we kick things off this episode I have to say a big thank you will be sponsored by Gordy Wallace and Sam Vogel who are sponsoring us on Patreon so thank you guys for pitching in and um yes with that I think we more or less have already used up all the good news because Dortmund lost in a terrible piss poor review derby. Two nothing. It was a terrible, terrible, uninspiring performance by both. Um, before we get into the details, I just want to say it was second against third at the time. More or less, who's going to be the best of the rest in this game was shockingly atrocious. Joachim Löw, I think, had a general criticism not too long ago about uh, how no team in the Bundesliga doesn't know anymore what to do with the ball. And I think this game perfectly captured what Mr. Joachim Löw said there. Um, of course, Schalke um, get a lot of good results this season, but their idea and their approach you know, to play football, if you want to call it, that is is very horrific. And obviously Dortmund did not find a response um so yeah it was always going to be a game where the team loses which makes more mistakes right Matthias and I I had the feeling it was always going to be Dortmund that would be the least clever team in this one just because of so many reasons first and foremost because they like any sort of cohesion and don't have that uh yeah sort of game plan let's put it where they just know how to push their opponent's buttons um, and I guess I can go into more detail about that later. But Matthias, first I want to hear from you. Um, how much screaming do you have to do during those 90 minutes? Um, well, I was quite engaged for the first half and then everything kind of fell apart after that. I think um, to, to summarize, it's probably the worst match I've ever seen Masa Schmelza play. I mean, it was just, it was just a bad day at the office for him. I mean, everybody has a bad day. Does it have to happen against Schalke? Yeah. 
you would hope not. You'd have enough focus to to not have that be your worst match in in memory for me personally with him. But um, if I can, okay, let me say something positive first before I get into my diatribe about how crap it was. Um, after Schalke took the lead, Dortmund responded positively and had more and more of the ball, more of the match, but it just wasn't enough. There and and you couldn't make up for the defensive errors. I mean, the the 2-0, okay, it's a typical Schalke uh scoring from a set-piece type goal, but that first one was entirely avoidable. Schalke uh, Schalke's <laughs> Schmelzer's bad touch. Um uh, and and you you go along that Shahin doesn't track back. Socrates steps up to the man with the ball, even though Topak was already there, leaving the lane completely open. And yeah, it was it was just a, a nature of the beast to score from there. Some people said Buki was positioned poorly. I disagree. How is he to know that his central defender would just run away? basically, and leave him well, completely given, exposed. Given on, on, on experience of this season, he actually should have known because that wasn't yeah. first for Socrates, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, really... you, can't, you can't prepare for that because then no matter what happens, you're going to be in a bad position as a goalkeeper because you're, quote-unquote, caught in between two minds. It was just, it was bad overall, and, and the problem with, with the match wasn't that, okay, Schalke deserved to win because they were the team that made the least amount of mistakes, Okay. Did Schalke play Dortmund off the pitch? No. Were they so much more positive and better? No. I think you you summarized it perfectly in the sense of it was a bad match. Not just because Dortmund lost, but just it was a bad match. Schalke are an unattractive team to watch. They played in an unattractive style most of the season. They got the result. Dortmund didn't. At the end of the day, that's the key there. They made less mistakes. If you just look at it statistically, Dortmund outpassed Schalke by God, almost like 150-something passes more, had 80% pass uh, completion percentage, had almost 60% ball possession. Um, and it, so overall, it was overall more in Dortmund's favor. They had the same amount of shots total, but... It just wasn't enough. And and I'm not going to say that Dortmund lost the game. I'm going to say Schalke won the match. They deserve to win the match uh, because they made less mistakes. But overall, it was... <laughs> um, I'd rather watch Leverkusen and Frankfurt play against each other than Dortmund against Schalke at this point, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, obviously. And I, I got to say, I really, really enjoyed that Schalke were knocked out of the cup by Leverkusen. And taking a big gulp of you their own medicine there. You mean Frankfurt? Uh, yeah, I, yeah Le Leverkusen Frankfurt. had a slightly different result. <laughs> yeah, they they also had that going out of the cup experience, but in a different way. And more on that later, I guess. But um, yeah, Frankfurt basically had had a really clever approach going to Schalke because they were like, okay, we're just gonna do what you guys do and uh, try to not make any mistakes. The game yesterday didn't look any better than what Dortmund were doing against Schalke. But uh, I would say Frankfurt were just a little bit clever. Of course, they also had to rely a bit on their own luck and a good goalkeeper performance. But in the end, 
They snatched this one lucky goal, which uh, was obviously a very well-taken one, but nevertheless, they had the luck, they snatched the goal, uh, it was sort of a smash and grab, then they had a sending off and they sort of dragged it over the finish line, they had a little bit of, you know, positive influence from the VAR, What you know, but... The the thing is, they managed to have a game plan to defeat Schalke without, um, you know, exposing yourself. And when we talk about exposing yourself, we are right back at Marcel Schmelzer. And you already mentioned it; he had one of the worst games of his career. Um, I don't, I don't know. He has a very long career, and he had a couple of bad games. But I, I mean, it was quite obvious why it was going to be bad, and and. This have, at least according to Schmelzer, they have brought this entirely on themselves. And here's why. Schalke with their wingbacks in Kalijuri and Schöpf in, in this case press Dortmund's fullback in the build-up phase. And Dortmund have a very slow build-up. That means you can already guess what is going to happen. Either Socrates or Toprak have the ball. At some point, one of them will shift the ball very slowly to their fullbacks, either Piszczek or Schmelzer. And that triggered Schalke's pressing, which means that one of the guys in blues, usually the wingbacks, but sometimes also Burgstaller or someone you know who is closer by, runs at them at full speed. So... We both know Piszczek and Schmelzer are a lot of things, but they're not the most press-resistant players. So, now I'm sending the mix zone after the game and I'm asking Master Schmelzer, why the heck did you not make any adjustments at halftime knowing that the fullbacks were charging at you the way you did? Why do you always make the same move? And Master Schmelzer... kudos to him for an honest reply, said, well, that actually was our plan to draw the trigger to to activate the pressing trigger and then play in behind and then he said that usually the runs either didn't really come off from our own players to pass in the spaces in behind or uh, when the runs were there the passes didn't come off all right in theory i agree that's a really really good plan if because there are not many ways to open up Schalke because they are very well organized and it's really hard to break them down one way or another However, as I already mentioned, Schmelzer and Piszczek not really pressing resistant. And I would actually say it's an idiotic plan because this is absolutely 100% going to fail. Because with these two players, you cannot play around a pressing, a, a counter pressing or whatever you want to call it. It's a very high paced because all you need is one bad touch and the ball is gone and uh, you concede a very quick counterattack. And to add insult to injury, you have centre-backs like Socrates that make very poor judgment calls when they need to make those calls in a split second in, in counterattacks. It's, it's just not working out well. And I don't know if it's to blame on Stöger or the team, but whoever came up with this idea um, yeah, had a very bad idea and lost Borussia Dortmund the derby. And... Yeah, this concludes my, my tiny rant, but um, it, it was on the one hand very nice to get some insight of uh, how Dortmund were thinking and then trying to outfox and outsmart Schalke. But on the other hand, I, I think this uh, was always going to fail and uh, does not give me a lot of confidence on uh, things that Dortmund are basically trying to come up with on how to defeat their opponents. Because if I remember correctly, 
right before the game on Sky, Stöger actually said that they want to have some creative solutions in possession and not just, you know, have a very dull game, which, uh, you know, in theory sounds good, but uh, in practice, as we saw, sounds terrible. And uh, yeah, Schmelzer having a, a bad game was definitely in context of Schalke A pressing really well and Dortmund uh, yeah, running right into that trap. Well, to, 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 to kind of, you know, um, back you up with your, your analysis there is, okay, fine. That was your idea. That was your theory going into it. I think you and I can effectively say after five minutes, we saw that this idea was not going to work when you have your high pressing wingbacks plus you're facing a two striker formation. That will also press your center backs, one of which tends to panic on the ball, Toprak, who I think was probably the best Dortmund player. Um, and then Socrates, whose decision making is akin to, well, anyway, it's not really that good. Let's put it that way. Why didn't anybody adjust? Why did nobody go, okay, this isn't working, Hashtuga. Let's try a different approach. You know, there, there's nothing to be said against Roman Bürki playing the ball further up the pitch beyond that pressing and then gaining the ball further up the pitch versus being put under pressure in your defensive third on a consistent and continual basis. Because, I don't know, I mean, I'm not a tactical whiz kid, but losing the ball far away from your goal tends to be a better situation than losing your losing possession pretty close to your goal um i correct me if i'm wrong but i think in general that's that's how people prefer if you're going to lose possession do it in the opponent's half versus your own and it just didn't work and i think having your double pivot of dahoot and shaheen we've seen it before that that doesn't work that that's not that's not the combination you're looking for um and Pulisic and Philip were also entirely underwhelming in this yeah, match. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I actually want to say something still about that because um, there were moments in the first half and the second half where Dortmund actually played quite well and outfoxed Schalke's pressing, but it wasn't by Schmelzer finding the pass in behind the the space that opens up by Schalke's pressing but it was when Schmelzer passed the ball back again to either Socrates or sometimes even better to Shine who dropped back and then someone else from the midfield just moved into the area there sometimes was uh, or not sometimes it only really happened once it was Christian Pulisic who like overloaded the, the left half space and all of a sudden Shine could play a pass and the entire space would have been opened for Pulisic if it wasn't for Philip who made the same exact run and basically dragged Stambouli with him who then was very close to wrestle the ball of Pulisic again if Philip stays away is a little bit smarter about his own positioning and opens up that space for for Pulisic then Dortmund would have had you know at least a decent chance to run to run one against one against Schalke's center backs and I thought to myself well Actually, they have a couple of techniques and, and uh, let's say, play designs where they can hurt Schalke, but it's just something we, we really did not see a lot. And to add to that, um, you know, 
it would be easy to just pin the blame on Schmelzer or the plan itself because, as you already said, Philip and Pulisic were really underwhelming. And I think if Dortmund had attacking midfielders with a better first touch and with any way or form to beat their opponents one against one in, in, in tight spaces, Dortmund actually would have fared quite well, but neither Pulisic or Philip could deliver on that day. And Marco Royce to add to that, yeah, although he was a, he, he was so okay. Good. He was okay. He was left on an island. I would have preferred to have seen when you see it's not happening a halftime adjustment, moving Royce either on the left, say move Royce to the left, Philip to the right, take Pulisic out, and then if you're going to play a four two three one, put Guts as central. I honestly, probably would have preferred to start that way. Um, given the, so the, the way that Schalke tend to play solid defensively by having a few more creative players, because Pulisic is not a creative player, but by having more creative players on the pitch, your chances of unlocking them are higher. Um, Bacuay, of course, also didn't have a great match from start and to literally to finish, uh, which is unfortunate, of course, which I'm sure we'll still talk about, but it just, Yeah, it, it was a day to forget. Um, and it, it showed the vulnerabilities of Dortmund under Peter Stöger in the sense of not really having a plan B or not being able to adjust to a plan B accordingly. You know, a, a manager like uh, Nagelsmann or Tuchel, even a Tedesco has shown it. Uh, Tedesco showed it in the first Rivia Derby against Bosch, that they're able to make those adjustments to not just the players, but the tactical approach to make a difference. And I just don't see that happening. You see, we actually have to give credit, just a tiny bit of credit to Stücker for making an adjustment later when he brought on Sancho for the hood. I think Dortmund actually switched to a back three. And sort of all of a sudden things were clicking. But my criticism remains the same as, as you just put it. And I, I think that's a very central one. Stöger argued in the end to basically pick the same 11 that won 3 nothing against Stuttgart because he, he felt, you know, they built some chemistry or whatever, which is a fine argument and, uh, in theory, it sounds good, but the problem is I always think back to how much this team struggled to break down Stuttgart in the first half and literally created nothing until uh, Pulisic scored that highly lucky goal. So going into the game against a team which will be even tougher to break down than Stuttgart ever will be, um, I just don't see, you know, with that attacking lineup, how, how are you going to do it? I just think you need... Instead of players like Pulisic and Philip and also Royce to some extent, and you can add Schürrle later who came in the second half, those are, to me, all players that cr can create a lot of danger if they have spaces to run into. But that's you, the one thing you're just not going to get. So you need to have creative players, as you just said, Matthias, that can create something on the spot. And I would actually call Jaden Sancho in there, even though he would also be ranked as a winger. But I think in a one against one situation you can create more on on less space let's let's put it this way than uh let's say Pulisic or Phillips so yeah Mario Götze probably should have started that game in in one way or another just so you have a bit more playmaking yeah finesse 
in in that starting level. Maybe maybe I'm wrong with that too, and uh, you know it all would have come to nothing one way or another. But um, I I just thought from the outset it was the wrong idea, and then to bring Schüller for Philip was sort of a really lost and and botched substitution because Schüller didn't really add much, in my view. And later when when Dortmund um, yeah switched things around, it worked quite well. But then uh, Nalo ended that show. Yeah, pretty quickly. And we have to say, Schalke actually invited Dortmund because it's been their habit throughout the entire season, more or less, that once they take the one lead, that they become terribly passive and, and wait for everyone, you know, in their own final third. And usually Dortmund have a habit of uh, creating s situations when they're allowed that far up front. It just didn't happen for Dortmund, of course. Um, but, you know, you had... A couple more crosses flying in. I think in the end it added up to 14 crosses. I remember Pulisic in the in the second half finding a couple of of crosses inside the box and once making the connection with Roy. So they finally at least had had a couple of shots, even though nothing that would trouble Fairman. But it was still more than uh, whatever they produced in the first half, which was nothing. So um, yeah, to come back to my first point, I just think Stöger made a couple of good adjustments, but I just think it was not good enough and he could have done even better and taking the hood off, I don't know, wasn't wasn't a good idea un unless you try to save him for the next game because being down 1-0 in Gelsenkirchen means you have already lost the game. Yeah, I, I don't really have much to add to that. <clears throat> I, I think we've hammered it home pretty convincingly at this point yeah like naldo yeah we we can talk about that war because uh, among journalists after the game that was a big big talking point whether um roman Bürki set up the war the wall in the wrong way because sort of everyone knew it was going to be naldo and not some uh, left-footed player I would mostly agree that wall did not look really good and uh, I'm sorry Christian Pulisic um the way he ran at Naldo and then sort of jumped up opened up all the space he could have easily blocked that shot I say but I personally probably would have jumped out of the way too but uh Matthias I want to hear your opinion on that because yeah I would I would partly put some blame on, on Berkey there for how he set up the wall but uh if you have a different opinion please opine um you know yeah he I think the wall placement wasn't ideal. I, I think at this point we're nitpicking, also to nitpick. Um, it's, yes, we are. It, it's just, I don't know. It, to me, it, it's it's an odd narrative that a lot of people want to go, oh, let's see if we could find something to blame on Bürki this season. He's not a person to blame for for losing that match. It would We would have lost it 1-0. So uh, at the end of the day... It wasn't ideal, but I, I, it's not really something that made me think twice about that goal. No, it was also a really well taken hit by Naldo. We, we got to give credit where it's due. I mean, he has been just tremendous for Schalke this season. And uh, I really do wonder how this derby would have played out if he had been booked in a Hamburg match after his handball goal. I don't know if that would have been a thing or, or not, but, uh, you know, he would have been suspended for the derby then and would have not participated. And I think that would have 
made a big big difference for Schalke who already had make had to make do from Nasasic of course but um yeah let's uh, not ponder too much on Schalke we obviously both know that this uh, loss did mean all the good things for Dortmund because they failed to claim second place and were rewarded fourth place because they are now two goals down on goal difference against Leverkusen level on points and uh, the situation looks as such that they're four points up ahead of fifth place Leipzig and five points up ahead of Hoffenheim and before we go into the uh, Leverkusen discussion just real quick what would be the ideal result in your view Matthias between Leipzig and Hoffenheim who also play on Saturday to me I think it would be a draw I'd have to agree with you there I mean that was you know when Leverkusen and and Frankfurt Uh, we're playing against each other. I was also like, well, you know, a draw wouldn't be bad. Um, so yeah, no, a, a draw would help Dortmund, uh, the most without a doubt. Yeah. And here's why, because I personally think that Hoffenheim are a greater threat than Leipzig at this point of the season, especially because Dortmund are yet to play in Hoffenheim away on the last match day. And I just don't have much confidence in Dortmund winning this game. And, uh, I have more confidence in Hoffenheim. Yeah winning actually so um i would hope for dortmund that they have three points and a very much better goal difference or four points going into this game on the final match day or i will not have my money on dortmund uh, reaching the champions league so um there's that i also think dortmund will finish behind leverkusen so it's their spot to defend the fourth place and uh, yeah this will be tricky as uh yeah Dortmund are just not in, in their best form but uh, we'll, we'll see um I mean maybe things magically turn around again I mean Leverkusen are also a team that lost tunnel away to Cologne not too long ago then they had a scoreless draw against Augsburg at home and then of course a very inspiring 4-1 win against Leipzig and uh, also very impressive 4-1 win against Frankfurt and then they were also select by Bayern 6-2 with a little asterisk that uh, Bayern were going at full speed against Leverkusen for throughout the 90 minutes and not just one half time as they did against Dortmund and Leverkusen scored two goals which uh, is something I don't see Dortmund doing against Bayern right now And I have to say, this game looked to be open for at least 40 minutes or so, or at least for the entire first half. Leverkusen were within touching distance, something Dortmund also never were in that 6-0 defeat against Bayern. So even though Leverkusen lost by a tennis score, I still think they will arrive in Dortmund in some form, and Bayern Munich are just a little bit imbalanced opposed to every other team in Germany right now. So, Matthias, you already touched upon it. Um, terrible news, of course, that Batshuayi has a foot injury after the last challenge in the, in the derby and will miss the rest of the season and potentially never will wear the yellow shirt again for Dortmund. So, who is, in your view, supposed to step into the fold? Well, um, nominally, you would say Alexander Isak, uh, who I would like to see start a match and play a full 90 minutes. 
Um, I don't know if Stöger has enough conviction or is brave enough to do that, even though I don't think you need bravery. Isak has shown enough glimpses that he's a quality player. I wouldn't be surprised if we, though, see uh, Philipp or Schürrle being the striker. Well, particularly for the Leverkusen game, Schürrle is doubtful and is uh, more likely to not make it than to make it. Yeah, that's so true. Curtis, meanwhile, he recovered from a stomach bug he had on Tuesday, so he should be fit to play, but I really hope that it's going to be Akanji and, and Toprak in this one again. I think Akanji had some muscular problems for the Riviera Derby, which is, I hope, is why he didn't start, because those two, to me, should be the uh, pick for the last four games, definitely, unless there are any injuries, suspensions, or whatnot. Yeah, so then... I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised then if, if Max, uh, Maximilian Philipp starts as the nominal striker on the day, even though there may be some rotation then. Yeah, that would be my guess too. Um, how hard do you think Leverkusen are hit by that last Bender suspension? I think it's big enough that you can't ignore it. Um, you know, even after, even though there were some positives from the loss to Bayern, I mean, they did say, I think Heiko Herrlich said, you know, we got beat up by Bayern. I mean, you conceding six goals isn't something you just shrug off, even if you score two. And for a half, you looked pretty decent. Um, so I think, I don't think it's going to be quite as one-sided as I may have thought pre prior to the Bayern match uh, for Leverkusen. Uh, but, you know, missing a Benda is never good, in my opinion. Because God knows Dortmund is missing a Benda this season. Could really have used one. <laughs> sure thing. No, but if if we look at the, the game against Bayern, I thought Lars Benner was quite instrumental in, in, in the first half. He was, or integral rather, for the success of, of Bayern. He was playing uh, right center half, if I'm not mistaken. And he was doing that quite well. And I got, I got to say, I was thoroughly impressed by his, yeah, obviously industry that all banners have, but also by the just by the way he yeah how do i how do i put it best how he forces passes how he opens channels to for the ball to be played into that means even when he doesn't manage to win the ball himself there's always a good chance that another leverkusen player is very close by to win that challenge or to end it. And uh, he's also really doing well to retain possession after the winning the ball. I think that was something that Bayern did quite well to, uh, uh, Leverkusen did quite well to uh, play around Bayern's uh, yeah, first line of pressing, really. And uh, I think that's going to be a real headache overall for Dortmund in this game because Leverkusen, I find, do it really well once they gain possession Obviously, they are very good in transition with all the fast players like Brandt, like Folland, like Bellarabi or uh, Leon Bailey if he starts, and Harvards, of course. And what they do so really well is that they have players that can hold up the ball against a counter-pressing. Not that Dortmund would play like that, but, uh, you know, they, they manage to just delay the game long enough for their 
pacey attacking players to run into the channels and then yeah release them basically and uh, to defend that is is really really tough and uh yeah frankfurt and both leipzig they have really struggled against that and yeah it's a big problem for dortmund because they meet a team that's a cohesive and be very much in form right now and yeah i really do wonder how they will uh deal with that 6-2 loss because as you said it can put a dent into your confidence but overall they seem to be much in much better shape than Dortmund are right now so um, yeah what kind of game are you expecting I hope it's going to be a little bit more fun than the Schalke one what do you think um yeah I I hope so I think I think there's going to be a little bit of a reflection with the Stuttgart match not necessarily in the end result just in the the tone I think uh, Stöger being Stöger will probably see Leverkusen have the majority of possession to start off with. Dortmund sitting back a little bit further and maybe trying to counterattack, which, um, yeah, anyway, uh, I'm not a big fan of you're just asking for trouble right now if you play that way. But that's kind of where I see it possibly starting at least. Yeah, it's really interesting because to me, Leverkusen entered this game as favorites. And maybe as as a Dortmund side, you could assume that underdog role in, in some way, even though the expectations on the stands will be a different one. And I really do wonder how this game will play out because A, games between Dortmund and Leverkusen in the past have been really, really terrible because there were two pressing sides just... Uh, neutralizing each other with the ball just uh, yeah not seeing much of a passing sequence on either side and if we think back to the 1-1 draw in Leverkusen earlier this season um, Dortmund have been quite frankly been completely they've been just been played off the park by Leverkusen before uh, someone I can't even remember who it was got sent off I think it was Retzos or so I don't I don't know but uh yeah, until Gonzalo Castro was then kicked and, and uh, Leverkusen were decimated, they were so, so dominant. And I really hope for Dortmund that this will not happen again. Um, who do you actually see in, in that uh, Leverkusen team that, that scares you the most? I would actually go with Kevin Volland right, right now just because he has... Uh, yeah, he's been on, on fire so much in, in recent days, but Kai Havertz and Julian Brandt are not are close seconds, I guess. Well, I mean, it's any of them. Pick one. Havertz, Brandt, Bailey, Folland, they're all hot this second half of the season. They're all playing incredibly well. They all have the not just the ability of speed, but also creativity, uh, high work rate. Uh, I don't... <laughs> I. You know, picking one of them to be more or less dangerous is a difficult decision. Um, and uh, as such, I would say I'm I'm equally worried about all of the Leverkusen attacking players. Yeah, what's interesting also that Lucas Alario will be back from his suspension. I do wonder whether he will uh, move right into the starting eleven again or not. Um, I presume not because he could have started in the cup, but he didn't. Um, what's also interesting, of course, how A, Leverkusen will deal with, uh, yeah, Lars Benner not being there. Maybe Dominic Cor or so comes back into the game. 
or uh, Benjamin Heinrichs. Uh, there are many options for Heiko Herrlich, actually, depending on how he wants to line up. But what's interesting about Leverkusen, I think, is that they have a very free-flowing front four with Harvards, Brandt, Bellarabi, and Folland, or other players, depending on who come into the lineup. And then with Arangis and Baumgartel in, in the double pivot, they have two players that are really, really feisty, let's put it this way, that uh, of, of course can play a ball. It's not like I want to have a Baumgartel in, in the Dortmund side, but they, they can also shock some wood. You know, they can chop you down if necessary and they bring a physicality into the game that Dortmund certainly will not be able to match. So I think this is a really tricky one for Dortmund because they will have to deal with that yeah free-flowing attack of Leverkusen and then... Uh, also with that granite style of uh, yeah defensive midfield and with Banner and Tar in behind, you also have players that can be really, really resolute. The only thing where I think Dortmund can hurt Leverkusen against Banner and Tar is, is the, their pace of their own attack and, and yeah trying to bring those players off balance. And I just also, I'm not a big fan of uh, Retzos. I just don't think that uh, he as a, as a left back is uh yeah someone uh, to to fear so but overall if i look at, at leverkusen's team and then compare it to how the dortmund play currently i gotta say leverkusen are the favorites in this one what do you think uh going off recent results and performances not use the term results <laughs> um, performances uh yeah i mean you have to say that leverkusen they're more informed they're playing better um, despite the loss against, against Bayern, but that can happen to anybody conceding six goals. Um, uh, yeah, you have to make them the favorites and, and my tip would go accordingly. Yeah. If, if I w would pick out the weak spot in that Leverkusen side, this next to Retzos, which I think some people actually write highly and I could be wrong, of course, is Bernd Leno this season. I just don't think he has been. Very good for Leverkusen. I think he is behind Martinia, who has been in goal for Hamburg most of the time. And uh, who was it for for Mainz before Reni Adler? I already forgot his name, but he also wasn't all that good. I think he was like the third worst goalkeeper. I don't know. I also don't read Schwolo of Freiburg, but um, yeah, Bernd Leno still amidst the circles of the national team. I'm not quite sure why, but I, I thought he has been sort of a weak spot. So far, I rarely remember a game where he actually saved points for his team, where he made such a big difference that, uh, yeah, he won the game for his team. Uh, Roman Bürki also not having a, a, a superb season, but he at least has won games for Dortmund, especially when we think back to that 1-0 win in Gladbach. Nothing I would say for Leno. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, yeah, that would be my my weak spot. And uh, yeah, then I really do wonder how Dortmund will line up. So you will say that either Philip or Royce will move one further ahead with Schüller out of the picture. There is now that loose the the open position from Batshuayi. We have filled with an attacking midfielder who then moves into the spot that has been made vacant by either Philip or Royce. 
I would say Gutze goes back in the starting 11 at that point. You know, I mean, you'll have Gutze, Pulisic, Royce, Philip, I think would be that for attacking players. And behind that, I honestly have no idea. I mean, you know, I mean, Dahoud and somebody. <laughs> and then defensively, probably, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same back four as we saw in the last match. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not there will not be an ideal solution to be found for the rest of the season in defensive midfield. It's going to be Dahoud and someone and uh, Dahoud sitting lingering on this fourth yellow card. You never know uh, when he has to yeah sit one game out. I have a hunch it will still be yeah in in one of those games that he will miss or. May it be the first game of the of the next season? I don't know, but uh, yeah, him and Roman Bürki, of course, the two Dortmund players that are sitting on the fourth booking, waiting for a looming suspension. Um, yeah, more or less, that I guess precludes concludes our prediction for that game because I honestly have no idea how it's going to be play played out. Whether Dortmund have more possession, whether Leverkusen have more possession, whether it will be a wide open game, whether it will be a, yeah, a slugfest with a lot of long balls. I don't know. Against Leverkusen, it's tough to dominate aerials. So I would suggest Dortmund better keep the ball on the ground. And also, I just don't know how Dortmund will respond. Maybe you give me a prediction for that because Dortmund have made it the habit after really terrible results to get a good result and usually also show a formidable to good performance. So what do you think will happen on Saturday? Do you think Dortmund can bounce back or do you think the opponent will just not allow it? I think they can bounce back because I think that Leverkusen open up more than say a Schalke does defensively. Um, so, and there will be opportunities. I don't think Dortmund are going to win it. I honestly don't. I think I wouldn't be shocked by a two all draw. Honestly, I think a draw at this point would be a very good result for Dortmund. I would have already taken a draw for them in the Revier Derby, even though everyone wants to win, but I think a scoreless draw would have done the trick for them too in, in the great scheme of things in the attempt to qualify for the Champions League. And to make one additional point on why Dortmund may win on Saturday is that they are playing Leverkusen. And we all know Leverkusen have a habit of uh, being a bit of a surprise bag and just watching things when they think things are going their way. That's just who Leverkusen are and maybe that sort of identity that they have will uh, come to haunt them yet again you know they're not for nothing called Neverkusen so um, maybe that will help just the uh, good old gods of football doing their regular work and Leverkusen for some reason just won't show up won't be in form maybe he's still a bit tired from the Bayer game mentally and physically who knows maybe that's the tiny advantage that Dortmund have and uh, you know it's it's not all doom and gloom for Dortmund after all because they have shown especially in that game against Stuttgart that as soon as they get a little bit of space they can create chances sometimes they put the, them away sometimes they don't but uh, it's not like they're the worst team 
ever pl playing. So um, they have a very good chance to create goals against Leverkusen, especially when Leverkusen open up just a little bit more, as you just said, than, than Schalke would do. And I'm very confident Heiko Herrlich will do that. And uh, maybe one, one last point from you, Matthias, on Heiko Herrlich, because I've been so freaking wrong on him. Before the season, I really thought he would watch the job at Leverkusen and they would be come the next Hertha Berlin, but uh, they really turn it around and uh, yeah, very good. Yeah, they look to be on for the Champions League spots. So um, how have you seen his season, his first season at Leverkusen go so far? Well, you got to say it's a resounding success. Um, I wasn't expecting anything from him and he completely proved me wrong. I still remember his Bochum time and as such, him being able to be, uh, I'm going to say, a better Roger Schmidt in the sense of they're more stable, um, more predictable that they play better more often than not. So, no, absolutely dead wrong with him. Yeah, I'm sorry, Heiko Herrlich. Really, truly sorry. But I'm personally extraordinarily happy for him because, of course, he's very special to Dortmund supporters. And, of course, he had his his health issues in his life and that, that weren't easy. Um, and as such, I'm personally very, very happy that he's doing so well at Leverkusen. Yeah, overall, just really very nice guy. And uh, I guess with that, we can conclude our show. Uh, Matthias, you said it will be a two-all draw. Was that your final prediction or just something how you could see the game go? That's my final prediction. Why not? All right. I'm going to uh, go on the ex extreme opposite of what my prediction actually will be in the uh, <laughs> journalist prediction game and I where, where I can actually win something. So... For the sake of a positive end on the yellow wall pot, after a tough review derby, I will say that Dortmund will actually win 3-2 to two somehow, even without Batshuayi in the picture. But um, yeah, tough loss. But anywho, they, they somehow will redeem themselves. Who knows? Matthias, how can people get in touch with you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthiasuk. Very well, you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter, find my written work on ESPN FC on the uh, Dortmund section. And if you want to reach all of us, please contact the Yellow Worldpod at Yellow Worldpod on Twitter and Facebook. Yellowworldpod.com is our website where you will find also our podcast feeds, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. And of course, you can just type Yellow Worldpod into your podcatcher and also we'll find the show if you want to support us like Gordy Wallace and Sam Fogel on patreon.com you go on patreon.com slash theyourwall and uh, with that I hope everyone enjoys a very sunny weekend and we will be back next week goodbye